0: This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. Coming up on Today with Jeff Vines, we're looking back at a series called The Story, as Pastor Jeff journeys through major events and key figures of the Bible. In this episode, we're looking at stories from the New Testament
1: Today, today
0: Today with Jeff Vines. Welcome to Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron, and today we're continuing in our series titled The Story, and we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 13. And Pastor Jeff is going to be looking at the parable of the seed and the sower. Jesus confused many when he spoke about the kingdom of God, and we're kind of left wondering what did he mean? Well, In this parable, Jesus explains God's kingdom is here right now. It's not far away in heaven. It's not something that's coming someday, but it's being planted right here on earth with you and with me. So let's join Pastor Jeff with today's message.
1: I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, I want you to hold verse 9, and that's the first book of the New Testament, the first book of the Gospels, Matthew 13, verse 9, and then go over to verse 18 and kind of hold that, and they're going to be related to each other. Uh, i got to tell you, as we look at the life of Jesus and the impact that he's made on the world, you have to remember the first thing he started talking about when he started and began his ministry was the kingdom of God. He kept saying, repent for the kingdom of God is... Near, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is upon you. And that caused a lot of confusion because some people wanted to know what the kingdom of God was. Is he talking about a literal kingdom on the earth? And there were thousands of Jews that misunderstood that and they thought Jesus was gonna be the king sit on the throne and they were gonna rule the kingdom. Was he talking about in the kingdom of God? Heaven, are they one and the same? And there is a sense in which Jesus said later that there are similarities, but he also said when you pray in the Lord's prayer, you are to pray our father who art in heaven, What? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So somehow, Jesus said there is the final heaven. There is the place that one day Christ will come come to us and take us to be his own. And we will be where he is. And there will be no more mourning, no crying, no pain. All the suffering will end. But he kept saying you don't have to wait for that. There is a sense in which that can be here now. And so he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is here. It's upon you. Turn around right now, go a different direction. The kingdom of God is here. And so Jesus began to define the kingdom of God as the power of God coming to earth to heal every alienation, every brokenness, and every area of life. So he taught that you don't have to wait. And only Jesus taught this, only he taught this. You don't have to wait to go there. There is a real sense in which up there can come down here right now. Now, maybe not in its full consummation, but there's something about up there, the ideal that you and I know exists can become the real. That part of the kingdom of God for which we all yearn can be part and parcel to the world in which we live right now. And Jesus said, you can have the kingdom now, alienations, brokenness, those can be healed now, your depression, your anxiety, your fears, your frustration, your worries, the kingdom of God, the ideal can become the real. And you can start right now to enjoy what will one day be the consummation of the kingdom of God right now. So what did people start doing? They started asking, okay, well, how do I get that? Uh, give me some of that kingdom stuff. I want that. How do I get in? And Jesus said, okay, I'm glad you asked. And he started to tell stories and parables about how to step in to the kingdom of God right here, right now. Now, let me warn you. This parable in Matthew 13, uh, I've been preaching for 28 years now, and I have never preached a sermon on Matthew 13 and the parable of seed and sower. I, I went back and did a little word search on my computer, and I realized, man, you, and you call yourself a preacher, I mean, really, how can you, how can you do that? Uh, I realize I had referred to it on numerous occasions, but I want to be honest. Let me tell you, one of the reasons I've never preached on the parable is because it's hard. You say, wait a minute, that's not like you, Pastor Jeff. You like hard stuff. Yeah, but not, this is hard. And I think one of the reasons is we've tried to make the parable a salvation parable and try to determine who's in and who's out. And I think sometimes we get lost. I'm not saying it doesn't hint toward that, but we get lost. Uh, What do they say? You can't see the forest for the trees. The thing that really helped me, and the reason I decided to take this on, was I started to have an understanding of the parable. And remember, I tell you when you look at a parable, look at the thing that stands out, look at the thing that's different, and that's where you focus. In verse nine, when Jesus talks about the parable, he says, he who has ears, let him hear. It's something you'll see all through the New Testament. What does that mean? I got ears, of course I'm hearing. What does it mean when he says, the kingdom of God cometh by hearing, therefore be careful how you hear. That's basically what he says in verse nine. Here's here's how we can understand this difficult parable because the parable is about a seed and a sower. And the seed is the word of God and the sower is the one who spreads the seed. And Jesus is gonna tell us a story of four different types of people that receive the seed. And out of those four, the last one is the only one that has the security that he has stepped into the kingdom of God. These three don't have that. I'm not saying they're not in. It's just the only one who has the security is this guy. So Jesus says, if you want to know how to step in, the first thing you got to do is let him who has ears, let him hear. What does he mean? He means, as I tell this parable, make sure you listen carefully. Make sure you listen with great intention. Make sure you do not come to me with any presuppositions about what you think I ought to be so that you can hear what I actually am. Don't come to me with any presuppositions what you think the kingdom of God should be. Make sure you listen intently and carefully so that you'll understand what the kingdom of God actually is. Now, you ladies who are married, you know what selective hearing is all about, right? Your husband, is—he is, uh, he majored in selective hearing, you know? Uh, so... Jesus says, be careful that you don't hear selectively. Did you see the movie Dumb and Dumber? I mean, yeah, okay. It's one of my favorite movies. I'm sorry. But I think it's Jeff Daniels. I can't remember if it's the other character. But one of them falls in love with a beautiful redhead. And I think they're out in the snow having a snowball fight or something. And Jeff Daniels or the other character looks to this young, beautiful redhead and says, what are the chances of a girl like you falling in love with a guy like me? Remember what she says? She says, one in a million. What was his response? So you're saying there's a chance then. (laughs) No, that's not what she's saying. Jesus said, be careful. Let me give you an example of how Jesus says, listen intently. A guy comes to Jesus when he's expanding his kingdom and he says basically this. He says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you lead me. What does Jesus say? Now, if you were building an earthly kingdom and you were trying to expand your earthly power, you would take a guy like that and say, man, you're just the kind of guy I'm looking for. Come on. But instead, Jesus says, foxes of holes. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. Well, talk about a downer. And he basically says to the guy this He's saying, Are you sure you know what you're doing? Are you sure you've heard me? Following me is not easy, it's not for the faint of heart. Do you know I'm going to ask you to die every day to yourself and live your life for a purpose greater than yourself? And I'm going to ask you to pick up your cross daily and follow me. Are you sure you want to do this? Have you heard? Now, in order to express to us the difference between the people who hear and receive and understand and the people who do not, he tells this parable. And he gives us four different types of hearts that hear the word of God, the good news of the gospel. Here's the first one. There are those, first of all, who listen with a hard heart. Now, I'm going to have to talk fast. And I'm going to get a little emotional and passionate about this because this is what makes pastors tick when they get a chance to to dissect a parable like this. The first guy that hears, Jesus said, is the seed that's sown along the path. Now, this guy receives the gospel strictly by the intellect. There's no emotion. It's all head stuff. It's the seed that's in proximity, but it's on the path. And if you know anything about the environmental sciences, you know that unless the seed goes down deep into the ground, it cannot germinate. It cannot spring forth beautiful life. So it's on the path. It's near the soil. It's in proximity, but it never takes root. This is the guy who loves to debate. He loves to talk about theories, but it never makes it into transformation. This is the guy that's in proximity to church. He or she may even come to church all the time. They may be around the Bible all the time. They may be around Christians all the time or not. But either way, they've got a knowledge of who Jesus is. they got a knowledge there is a God, but it never makes it past the head down deep inside into the heart. So when they come to church, if they do, they don't come for an experience, for God to dissect them, for the Bible to cut them in half, to know them better than they know themselves. They come because it's some kind of spiritual appeasement. They think if they come, then the wrath of God will be turned away from them and God will give them what they want. So for them, there's no joy getting out of bed on the weekend. There's no joy of worship. It's all head stuff. And it's been head stuff for 40, 50 years. They know the truth and they love to debate theology. You can have Bible college professors in this category. You can have great theologians and philosophers in this category. They know it, but it never penetrates. It never germinates. It's truth without power. It's theories without any transformation. And Jesus says there's never been a time in this person's life it never goes down deep. They know it, they hear it, but it never takes root. They're the kind of people who never have or seldom have an experience where they feel like the Bible or Jesus has them by the throat and is tearing them apart. the people who never feel a deep emotional where there's an awakening to who they really are in the presence of God and their need for salvation and grace and mercy. Oh, they know it theoretically. They theoretically know about grace and mercy, but to experience and to be repentant, penitent, no. There's never deep movements in the soul or seldom because to them, it's all up here. That's it. Intellectually, it never makes it into the heart. When you lose somebody that you love, uh, if you lose a mother a father, a son or daughter, I don't presume to know what it's like to lose a son or daughter. I can't imagine. But I have lost both my parents. And I can tell you this. If you lose somebody that you love and you're a follower of Jesus and you go through the, uh, the funeral, and some of you are going to start shaking your You're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you won't. But listen, trust me. The next worship service that you attend after the death of a parent or somebody that you love is the deepest, most spiritual experience you'll have up until that time. Do you know why? Because suddenly you moved past the theory into what is real. And you began to realize that God can sustain you through an enormous amount of pain. And you realize the reality of heaven. And something happens in you where the Spirit of God opens your eyes and you begin to see things you've never seen before that your mom, that your dad, that your husband, your wife, your son or daughter really are in heaven with God and they would not want to return. Now, you've heard it all your life. It's theory all your life, but now you experience it. These people never or seldom have that type of an experience. It never makes it past the head. They love to debate. They love to argue. They love to talk theology. They love to talk end times, but it really never makes it down deep into the heart. Jesus says, That's the first. And I I describe these people. The reason he's like this, they're the kind of people like everything they say is like, hmm. You ever know people like that? Hmm, that's interesting. Hmm, that's a good thought. Hmm, I'll have to ponder that. But it never makes it past the head down into the heart. Now, here's the second group of people. Those who listen with a shallow heart. If he's all about or she's all about intellectualism, this guy's all about emotionalism. All about, all right, if this person is, hmm, hmm, this person's about, yeah. I mean, everything to them, they they somehow are introduced to Jesus and they're kind of like, yeah, and everything's super, super emotional to them. They're excited about Jesus. They're happy. They've gotten some hope. There's even a little bit of life change in them. The Bible says that they're the people who receive the word and at once receive it with joy, great emotion, but they have no roots and last only a short time. They're the people who find Jesus and they're happy because they believe they found the secret code to life. They've got the trump card now. They've got the key that will get them everything they're looking for down here. They don't see Jesus necessarily as savior. They see Jesus to help them get their saviors. So they're looking for health, wealth, prosperity, and riches, and a business that grows, and to be successful in life. And they think, man, now I've got the power within me to do that. But the Bible says, unfortunately, as the seed goes down, it's shallow ground. Because there are not enough roots, they can't take the heat of the sun. And when the Bible uses the metaphor of heat or fire, it's talking about tribulation, trials, difficulties in life. So these are the type of people. They come and man, I got Jesus. Yeah. And they're happy for a while. Man, he's so great. He's going to give me everything I've ever wanted. Right here, right now. Good job. Promotion. The right girl. The right guy. And then suddenly their life's not going the way they thought it would go. And they bail. Because they think to themselves, man, what good is Jesus if he's not going to give me what I want? So boom, they're off to the next happiness fix. Jesus is just temporary. I'm going to try him for a while. And as long as he gives me everything that I want, I'm in. They wanted a blesser, not a savior. They wanted a sugar daddy, not a king. I've got two friends in New Zealand, both owned their own business. One was building his business. The other one was a real estate agent. Both of these people lived these kind of lives. They moved past the intellect. They knew it was true into the emotion where they thought, man, Jesus is going to build my business. And as long as everything was going well, they were all about Jesus. When things were not going well, you would see some of them disappear or sometimes they would disappear when things were good and come back when things were bad. They used Jesus like that. So when things are really, really good in their business, yeah, oh, man, Jesus, man, he's given me everything I ever need. But you never see them. There's no service. There's no sacrifice. They think Jesus is their personal savior in the sense to save me from any trouble that I might have. And when he doesn't deliver, I'm out of here. And here's the reason. This is what helped me start to understand this parable. The reason Jesus uses the seed analogy is because in the first century, uh, Powerful kingdoms were sometimes illustrated in the form of a boulder. It was a boulder that would come down and smash and Earthly kingdoms were always about coercion, manipulation, and just smashing people uh, into, uh, into some kind of allegiance it wasn 't really from the heart, it was just a force of coercion it was a A revolution that forced you to do what you really didn't want to do. So the kingdoms like Babylon and Greece and Rome, they came down as a thundering boulder to tell you that you're going to yield or you're going to die. It was suddenly, it was forcefully, it was coercively. It breaks the ground. The boulder smashes the ground. Now you think about it. I mean, you throw this boulder, it just smashes the ground, but there's no real underneath internal transformation. It just transforms things externally, not internally. Jesus comes along knowing that. And he decides instead in his kingdom to use the seed analogy. A little bitty seed, I mean, it's so small. But if you know anything, again, about the environmental sciences, you know that if you can plant something, and if you put concrete over it, the roots will grow up and break through the concrete. That Jesus was trying to say, and my kingdom is not like an earthly kingdom, and why would you want it to be? Because they don't last. They only last until the more powerful kingdom comes. Jesus uses the seed analogy because he's trying to say, My kingdom is organic, it's gradual, it's gentle, it revolutionizes internally, it transforms the land by reordering and rechanneling its energy into life-giving processes. In other words, God's kingdom does not transform from the top down, it transforms from the inside out. Think about it, if you're really going to defeat evil, if you ultimately want to defeat evil, how are you going to do it in the world? Are you going to legislate morality and force everybody to be good? Good luck with that. Or are you going to change them internally, one life at a time? Is something going to happen? David Livingston, the great explorer through Africa said, Christ in me, the hope of glory. The only hope I ever have of becoming the man I need to become is if there's some internal transformation in me. Jesus said, that's what the kingdom of God is like. It's an internal transformation. It's not like God comes down and just throws a boulder at all your problems. Now here's the key. People who struggle with the kingdom of God do so because they're expecting the kingdom of God to be like the kingdom of men. That suddenly, if you receive Jesus, he's going to be this incredible force to bring everything that's against you into submission. They're not looking for a savior from their sin. They're looking for a savior from all their troubles and difficulties in the world. Instead of becoming involved in the plan of God to expand his kingdom, they want God to become involved in their plan to expand theirs. And so, when troubles come, Jesus says, they bail. After all, what good is Jesus if I still have problems in my life? Now, just stay with me here stay with me. The hard part about being a Christ follower, and if you're new here, your first time, man, we're telling you the truth right away. It's a beautiful thing. We're going to get to that in a moment. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But when Jesus closes the gap that exists between you and God because of your sin, he not only puts you in a right relationship with God so that you're into the kingdom, but he also puts his spirit into your heart. Now, I've said before. This should not be something that's illogical. If God is really God, he's not limited by time nor space, which means he can be everywhere at once. He can't limit it by anything he's created. So the fact that God can put his spirit in all of us, every person who's ever lived on the planet is not that big a deal if you're God. That spirit comes on the inside and guess what his job is to do? It's to start reworking you from the inside out. It's painful. In the least, it's excruciating and the worst. You've got to be changed. I've got to be changed. And it's not an easy task. I've been reading Tim Keller's new book on uh, walking with God through suffering. And he gives the illustration of British shepherds. He says they'll throw the sheep one by one into a huge vat filled with antiseptic liquid. And he says you got to do it. Otherwise, the sheep, there will be uh, infection and there will be parasites And so the shepherd has to take these sheep and thrust them down in under the water, under the antiseptic. And it's painful. You've got to get their eyes, nose, mouth, ears, everything under. And you've got to hold them for a certain amount of time. And the sheep will fight and kick and scream and try to get out. And then there are the sheep dogs there to bark and scare them to go back down into the water. But without it, these sheep would be the victims of parasites and all kinds of disease, ultimately death. Tim Keller says every time he thinks of that, he remembers that Jesus is described as the good shepherd. Elizabeth Elliot, commenting on this act of British shepherds, says if only there were some way to explain it to the sheep. You know, don't you wish you could speak sheep? Listen, this is not a bad experience. <laughs> I just made that up on the spot. I, you pretty sick, isn't it? If somehow you communicate to the sheep that I'm trying to save you. She goes on to say, but such knowledge is too wonderful for them. It's high. They can't attain to it. if that kind of gap exists between the shepherd and the sheep here, what kind of knowledge gap exists between me and the good shepherd? That's why Evelyn Underhill says, if God were small enough to be understood, he wouldn't be big enough to be worshiped. Now, stay with me. Hard heart, intellectual, never makes it down. Into, there's never a spiritual experience and passion and emotion. But this guy's all emotional. And all he wants is, is a, a genie. Rub the lamp three times, get what you want. When he doesn't get that, he, he, he goes. Now, it's not difficult as a theologian to say, this guy's not in and this guy's not in either. They didn't take root. They didn't get it. It was temporary at best. But then he starts talking about this guy. And the third guy, he's those who listen with a divided heart. Now stay with me. This is the guy that represents most of us, probably. Before I really look at him, because I think the parable, that which stands out, is about this dude. Let's make sure we understand who this dude is. In verse 13... Of chapter, verse 23 of chapter 13. But the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So we know who this guy is. Intellectual, emotional, they're gone, they're not in. This guy, oh man, he got it. He knows who God is, he knows who Christ is, he knows he needs a Savior. He knows the Spirit of God's working inside him. He's not perfect, he still fails, but man, he knows who he belongs to, he knows where he's going. And these tears that he cries are not tears of sorrow, but tears of joy. It's a relief, this guy. He finally gets it. He knows, man, I belong to God. God placed his spirit in me. I am forgiven. I am saved by grace, not by anything that I've done so that no man could boast. I am saved by the grace of God through the cross of Jesus Christ. He's happy. He's elated. He's discovered his spiritual gifts. He knows what his purpose and plan for his life is. He's got it. And he's so overwhelmed with that truth that he's overwhelmed with tears of joy.
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Finds. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from
1: Pastor Jeff. So we know who this guy is. This guy, oh man, he got it. He knows who God is. He knows who Christ is. He knows he needs a savior. He knows the spirit of God's working inside him. He's not perfect. He still fails. He finally gets it. He knows, man, I belong to God. God placed his spirit in me. I am forgiven. I am saved by grace, not by anything that I've done. I am saved by the grace of God through the cross of Jesus Christ.
0: You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you listen to podcasts. You make me want to dance and sing with every single friend I bring. I will break this up. You are my wonder. You with the wonder. Today. Today. Today